I have a tinge of arrogance in my voice and in myself that really comes out when I'm having arguments with people. And that arrogance was not always there. I remember exactly how it came into being for me. We'll get there, but first let's look at at what it is. For me, this arrogance is that I'm making a more rational argument about something than you. This need to be rational, to have rationality, to rationalize away. Of course, rationality is healthy where appropriate, but not all things are rational. Some things uh, are more emotional. Some things there are lots of gray area and not the cut and dry, yes, no, black, white rationality uh, that has become so prominent uh, as the thing that we should aspire to have, even though it doesn't really reflect the reality of most of our day-to-day lives. It's an ideal, we tell ourselves, to be purely rational which means that we can rationalize away our worst decisions. There's also the transrational, that which transcends rationality, but uh, because it isn't purely rational, looks irrational. I mean, it is irrational in, in the sense that it's not purely rational, but it's not silly, it's not stupid, it's not nonsensical. It just simply cannot be understood by a purely rational brain. So there are other ways to be, but rationality is uh, the order of the day. And for me, I can remember being in high school and um, having um, political debates with my friend Travis, who at that time was a card-carrying Republican. He was a Rush Limbaugh-listening Republican. Later in life, he changed his ways after he went to college and met gay people. I believe he told me, and then realized, wait a minute, gay people aren't bad, the way the right has told me all all this time. Of course, now the right pretends that gay people are tolerable, if not just okay with you and me. Um, But in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, um, not the case. Whether you cared at all about someone's sexuality, tended to uh, fall along political lines in America. And, you know, they still do, but not as dramatically as as before. Um, Unless, of course, there's just homophobia lying dormant and waiting to rear its ugly head again, which, of course, is possible uh, because we see that happening with race and with sex. So, there you go. Um, But back then, Travis was... Super smart, articulate, had a great memory. I mean, still does, but uh, but he used it for Republican purposes. <laughs> he was a conservative, and so uh, I my thinking was really more my empathy and my feeling, coupled with things my parents and especially my dad would tell me. Uh, that I couldn't really retain, like facts about Reaganism and how Jimmy Carter really was as compared to how he was portrayed by the right. And, you know, um, all of that sort of stuff 
I had empathy for human beings, right? I had empathy for people and animals, of course, but we're talking about people. I had empathy for all people. I mean, from really young. I mean, I don't think I ever really lost that, probably until I became arrogant. <laughs> but, uh, but so my dad's knowledge sort of fed that feeling, that gut feeling for people. But I didn't have the memory that Travis had, so I couldn't really retain the facts to battle his facts. All I had was, well, I know you're wrong, and I don't know how you're wrong. I can't articulate it. I just know you're wrong because I'm a liberal. Because my dad's a liberal and he told me, you know. Um, and so I would try to appeal to him on more sympathetic notes, on more like, but wait a minute, aren't you just a human being? Like, doesn't, you don't really feel that way, do you? But th that wasn't enough for him. So, uh, in fact, one of his favorite quotes from Rush Limbaugh was something along the lines of, even when I'm wrong, it's really a brilliant swerve towards truth, which I thought was funny. But uh, I think Travis took that to heart a little more than I did. But the great thing about Travis is he was my friend. And so I wanted to win the argument. I wanted to show him that he was wrong. Um, and so I learned facts. <laughs> I learned about the very things my dad was talking about and more. I read books on, you know, uh, not just politics per se, but on punditry, on the media, on how the media uh, is not of the left. Because this was always the big sort of, oh, the media is, we still see this today, right? The media outside of Fox News um, and Wall Street Journal is liberal, all liberal organization. But what was true about that is that the reporters themselves uh, may have been liberal. In fact, the editors may have been liberal, but the corporate overlords that own these, these media outlets uh, had an invisible leash on the editors. And so the topics about which you could liberalize uh, were limited in scope and everybody knew their role. So you could be as liberal as you put a liberal slant on a topic, but the topics are dictated by right wing uh, corporate interests. So most of these uh, conversations we have in politics um, are nonsense, are nonsensical, um, at least back then. Now, of course, I mean, there does come a point where things are so obvious in your face bad that they have to be talked about or the illusion of <laughs> free media uh, and caring uh, go right out the window, right? Um, but this is not where we were back then. So I did my, I did my book work and I did my learning and I came up with the facts to, to counteract him. Um, but of course those arguments, I don't think those arguments really did anything for him in terms of, um, opening his heart and mind. It really was that he was a music theater guy and he went to, um, the heart school of music and, uh, and like I said, he met uh, homosexuals. And so in relating to them outside of the realm of facts, quote unquote, and news versus fake news or liberal news versus conservative news was, um, was the fact of um, who these people were in his life now. And they were just like you and me. They just slept with different people um, with same gender 
people. Like, that's it. So all the demonization um, he saw firsthand was was wrong. And because he loved his new friends, um, he couldn't subscribe to that that old prejudice belief system anymore. He just couldn't do it. And it opened his eyes, I think, to all of the other problems of selfishness and prejudice, um, which hold us back in the realm of politics. So it changes outlook completely, this, this relating to people, this heart connection with people. I mean, in a weird way, he came around to heart as I was coming around to brain, right? So if I look at why it is that, that I'm, uh, tin, I have a tinge of arrogance often when I get all irrational, um, it comes from emulating Travis because uh, my personality, not so much anymore, but was very chameleon-like. I would, uh, you know, people's traits would rub off on me, and Travis was that type of arrogance. And you know, not just people's traits, but like I'm good at doing impressions, not just literal impressions of people, but like of <laughs> what we might all suspect is their inner monologue which may sound a little bit different than their actual outer voice. And I think these things rub off on me, or they did. Um, and so that was a characteristic of Travis that I have carried forth in me um, for worse. I was going to say for better or for worse, but for worse. No offense, Trav. Uh, so it's just there. Um, this vestigial personality trait uh back when I was more malleable. Um, but where, where, what does, where does that, that need to be rational come from? That need to be, quote-unquote, right, correct, um, and to argue for it at all costs. Um, I mean, I do think that now, uh, I don't know if it's worse or if just um, my situation, my, my, seeing this in Travis colors it to feel like it's worse now because here was an example of someone who could break through that. But now it does seem like harder to break through to, to allow interpersonal relationships to, uh, to influence your thinking beyond what it is. And maybe, maybe it is harder now because we are more of an indoor isolated on the computer culture and of course, we now have legitimate right-wing media, um, and then the same old mediocre uh, pseudo-left media controlled by corporations um, on the main stage. Now, of course, there are progressive outlets and all that, but they're not the main stage. The main stage is from the middle to the hard right, and people seem to be in lockstep on that hard right. So if they're not out meeting people to test what they're being told on the TV and on the internets, um, how can they really know? So that may be a legitimate issue. We need more relating in this world. I mean, that's what it is. We need, at least in this country, we need more relationship with one another. And that's not always going to work because uh, I remember in college, um, in high school, I had this tight-knit group of friends who were great, and we would have these great, amazing debates and discussions of things that, 
you know, if John Hughes put it into the Breakfast Club, you'd be like, well, that even that is a little bit beyond their years. No, no, we were having those discussions. We cared. And the same thing held true for freshman year of college uh, at the University of Bridgeport. After that, I went to University of Hartford, and um, it was not this way. But at least at the University of Bridgeport, the same sort of thing happened where we would all get together, a whole giant group of us, and talk about things that mattered in the world, not just in our little social lives. Um, but I remember this one kid, he was a, sort of a right-winger from a right-wing family, and he was very uncomfortable with all of this. He sort of hung out with us because he had no choice. It was a very poor college. There wasn't a lot to do except this or drink. So uh, if he was going to be in the social circle, this was it. But, uh, you know... He was not comfortable with it. I could tell he wasn't comfortable with college life. And he just wanted to go home and be isolated and hold on to his prejudices and be that guy. Um, it was very clear. Um, so it's not going to work with everyone that, that relating to people um, breaks the mold. But it often, it often is the case. I think more often than not. If we're, if we're willing to meet each other, to not simply meet another with the image that we have preconceived about them, but to meet them uh, and really see what they're about. But this need for rationality, this push for rationality, is itself a prejudice because it, it says that um, everything that is not itself is, is wrong on some level. Um, this is for the purely rational person. Of course, we need rationality. Think, there are things that need to be rationally hashed out. Not everything is transrational. Not everything is a heart relationship. Some things are just, uh, you know, the brain is there for a reason. It has a purpose. Rationality has a purpose. But, but it's not the end-all, be-all, and, and we are out of balance. And part of this is due to patriarchy. Part, you know, you can go down the list of uh, social things, but what is it personally in our lives that keep us here? Because no amount of patriarchy can really do it in the same way that like I never drank growing up. And when I found out that my dad was an alcoholic in college, that was a great excuse to continue not to drink. But the fact is that I just didn't like it. I didn't like the taste of alcohol on any level. And I didn't like the way my friends were when they were drunk Nothing about it was appealing to me. So that means that beer ads never worked on me because I didn't, I didn't want them to. So there's got to be a level of your own complacency um, for these things, these social messages, um, these subliminal messages, these advertisements. For all of these things to work, you have to allow them to work. You have to want them on a level. Um, and so it is with being uh, a purely rational patriarchy. We're all in this together um, until we aren't, until we see that. And then the seeing that has its own action. So let's see this. Let's see if we look together. I mean, you look in your own life. I'm just talking about my journey. Boy, do I not like that word anymore. But my journey. Uh and you look at your own journey and see see where you're at with all of this and why. 
Um, if you're a rational, purely rational person, of course you may not be. You may be a flake, <laughs> or you may be trans-rational, or uh, a babbling idiot. Who knows? I mean, any number. <laughs> or you may be uh, balanced. You may be coming more from heart, which uh, informs the brain, as opposed to coming from the brain, which blocks out the heart. Perhaps you've gotten that far in life and good for you. Or perhaps you're of a heart culture that never left it and great for you. But for some of us, we have to, we have to see that there's a need to get there and then, and then see where we are. Because the seeing where we are and understanding it is the getting there. There is no running to that other thing, that heart culture, that, that other expression. Because uh, the running to it creates a friction between what you are and what you want. Um, and so you then cover over what you are with what you want. You become a smiling, happy, you know, flake or a cultist or a, you know, a poser. I'm not going to grow a man bun. I've said this a million times. No, ban, no man bun for this guy. <laughs> so, so if I look at another reason to be super rational, arrogantly rational, right on every issue, for me, um, it is my involvement uh, in what you would call the paranormal and or alien abductions. You know, these are the common words we use for the things that you know what they mean. <laughs> so we don't have to bother getting into those, except to say that um, because I would talk about them and I would talk about certain high strangeness experiences in my life, I didn't want to be laughed at. And because I'm the guy who would make jokes about such things and would be completely irrationally, uh, probably cruel to people. I would probably make jokes at people's expense about these things. Had I not had them, had I not experienced them, I would be that guy, that jerk. I know who that jerk is because that jerk is me. And secretly I kind of wish I could just be that jerk and not have had these high strangers experiences just make fun of them. Well, thankfully now I get to have my cake and eat it too. But, uh, see, there's me being arrogant again. Um, I wanted to prove that I am a rational person who happens to have irrational things happen to him, but that they are real. And the proof that they are real is that I am a rational person. It's circular. I, I don't have any real proof. I don't have physical evidence. Um, I only have me. And so if I could show you that I am sane and rational, just like you, um, if I could show that I have a, a quirky, cynical, I would guess at this point in my life, I would argue sadistic sense of humor. I think that's what Gen X morphed into. We went from, um, cynical, sarcastic right into its kissing cousin, sadism, uh, if I could prove that I am that guy who just happens to be having these experiences, well, then by golly, you would know that I am sane and that these are real. So that was, um, first it was Travis honing my abilities to be rational, and then it was the need to prove to you that high strangeness experiences uh, are real and valid. But really, if I look at both of those things, the underlying unconscious truthier truth here is that I wanted... Um, to prove my dad right. My dad was right and Travis and his dad were wrong. You know, his family was wrong. It all goes back to 
protecting the parents and seeing them as uh, perfect, as perfection. So that was honestly why I wanted to be a good liberal. Um, not that I didn't feel that it was correct, not that I didn't really have the empathy that I talked about before, but the 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 driving force to win an argument such that I would buy books on political subjects, um, I think the the spark of that came from the unconscious desire to prove my daddy right. So that's inner child me coming out. Uh, but then with the high strangeness thing, um, if I had really, if I'm really to be honest with myself, I wasn't trying to prove the high strangeness stuff right. Um, I was trying to show that I am sane, that I am a critical thinker, that I am rational, um, because I need to project myself. Again, this this goes into the episode we did on ambition here. It's this ambition, this drive to be heard and to be accepted. And I thought I could even be president one day. I mean, my narcissism knew no bounds. <laughs> uh, so none of these reasons really had to do with balance or being a good person or or even being correct. It all had to do with image, with how I'm perceived by other people, with not wanting to be rejected, wanting to be embraced, and not even necessarily for my own sense of personal self-worth, uh, in the sense that at that time, too, I was also a very depressed person. So I don't even think acceptance would have taken me out of my depression. I think I would have found other ways, other means to feed that depression um, and to say I'm a piece of crap. I'm, I'm certain. And in fact, uh, I would even use that you believed me against you or against me. And I probably would have even used um, acceptance as a sword against myself. I would have lashed out at, at the people accept, accepting me and said, you know, gosh, if, if you accept me, what's wrong with you? Because I'm not worth accepting. So I think on, on the level of my own personal depression at the time, um, which I had in spades, uh, I would have used, I would have taken the positive and turned it negative. So my wanting that positive wasn't about feeding me and making me positive or building me up in that way. It's about something even subtler than that, even more unconscious than that. The wanting to be perceived as rational is purely about wanting to exist in this world. The self wanting to exist in this world by the world's rules. When you play by the rules, you're acknowledged as worthy, and then you can say, I am. And this wanting to say, I am, is the self's way of playing God. And this is the most basic rudimentary way. I mean, we do it in all sorts of grandiose ways, right? But this is a very, and we do it on different levels all the time because we're constantly needing to 
not necessarily feed the ego in uh, an arrogant, egomaniacal way, but sustain the egoic self, which is an illusion. And it's an illusion that is only sustained in a quote-unquote healthy way by outside validation. It's sustained delusionally internally uh, when, you know, in a quote-unquote unhealthy way when you uh, don't have contact with other people or you only listen to your splintered off multiple personality voices internally. But we claim that the healthy way to go about this is to be validated uh, by people who abide by the normal conditions of the society, the normal standards of society. This is not healthy either. But in the world of duality, uh, going by the rules, um, you could do worse. If you acknowledge rules, you can you can change them, you can update them, you can downgrade them, you can swing on the pendulum back and forth between good and bad decisions. And that's okay as long as you have the chance to realize that you are on a pendulum and what that is. If you're stuck in your own head and you don't realize there's a pendulum or other people in the room <laughs> outside of what's in your head, well, that's a little harder to overcome. But yet again, I digress. If I look at what motivated me and I look at what motivated my hero in the political journey, my father, uh, they're different things. My father was far better equipped to uh, to argue politics and um, social justice issues than than I was. Of course, he was an adult and um, smart, smart as a whip on these very issues, uh, and quite outspoken. But they also served as a mask for him, for his own uh, personal demons. Again, not that he didn't believe in them and doesn't believe in them, but. Being a social hero was a way to uh, to avoid being a personal hero. To you know, a lot of these um, social activists and socially active people and psychologists are screwed up people. You know, they do well for other people, but not for their own families, not for their own personal. It's a way to uh, deflect, which isn't to negate the good that they do in the world. It's simply to say that. They're doing good often has personal baggage or a, is a a means to not look at themselves um, and to receive accolades. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that with him. Uh, I think his father, at least in the family, was outspoken, um, but in a, from what I understand, sort of a crazy, angry, perhaps schizophrenic way. I'm not sure. Um, so there's that internal chatter that we were just uh, talking about. But, I mean, he I don't think he was outspoken in any public way, and certainly I think he, um, probably his political views were completely interlaced with whatever anger issues he had in life and uh, with how he was made to feel about himself as a Greek immigrant. I think politics at its worst, is um, is all about selfishness. Greed in terms of wealth and hoarding 
land development, all that stuff, but also um, in a more personalized way, uh, the selfishness of emoting and projecting what you feel onto other people and even through policy. Similarly to what we were just talking about this entire episode, similarly to my journey, but in a, in a cruel way, in a cruel external way. I mean, if mine is an internalization of an unconscious um, attempt to sustain myself in, in society through knowledge and empathy, then my grandfather uh, on my dad's side uh, would be sustaining his sense of self or um, sustaining it in the society by pleasing the abuser, by adopting the bullying stance of those who would see him to the border rather than welcome him into their home. <laughs> right? I mean, immigrants chanting, build the wall, right? This would be my grandfather, most likely. He'd be one of the ones chanting, yeah, build the wall. Let's keep out those immigrants. Um, and not understand the hypocrisy because he had turned his anger on himself. He believed the propaganda about himself and other immigrants like him. And he wanted to identify with the winners, with power, with the people who pick themselves up by the bootstraps and uh, move their way up the, the hierarchy, the American dream and all of that. Um, there are people who identify with that and uh, people who see through it. And he identified with it. So therefore he ended up hating himself and the easiest way to sustain himself, I guess he unconsciously believed, was to support the uh, people and policies that were not in his best interest, but helped him to identify with the bully. And, and now that I say that, uh, isn't that why I wanted to appear rational to a rational culture about high strangeness phenomena? Um, because I didn't want to be bullied by them when I, uh, when I spoke. So I guess we're not so different, are we? And isn't that why I wanted to to school Travis so badly in facts that I couldn't remember? So I, I learned I, I learned the facts anew, where <laughs> uh, I relearned what I had forgotten. Um, anything to win the argument with Travis to show him he's wrong because I'm so certain I'm right, and. That pushed me toward being a rational brain person, out of heart and empathy and more into my head. Uh, but then the high strangeness thing, that was more in line with my grandfather. That was more in line with wanting to appease the, the abusive culture, the people who would laugh at me, um, to get them before they could even do it, to show them, ha, see, I'm just like you. Um, and this was a tactic I took with bullies uh, as far back as grade school, which is if somebody would make fun of me, I would make fun of me first, or I would make fun of me in a follow-up joke and one-up them. That way it wasn't uh, so fun to make fun of me because <laughs> I didn't fall for it. it. You know, you can't laugh at someone who's laughing at themselves. Um, then you're both relating to each other. You're both in on the joke and... Um, you know, if their goal is to hurt you and hate you, that ain't the route they can take anymore. So these are the things that uh, that push me toward rationality in an arrogant way. 
in an argumentative all or nothing way. And whether that's good or bad, it doesn't matter. That's just simply how it, how it unfolded for me with me in me because of me to preserve, to sustain and to develop the me, the sense of me to give articulation to the feelings that I had is to concretize them and to make them really real out there externally almost. This is what arguments do. And when we have these sorts of arguments and make life about them for ourselves, it's a way of concretizing ourselves, sustaining the sense of self, claiming that we are just a little bit more out in the world just a little bit more real through knowledge. This worship of knowledge is a worship of the self. More than that, it's a sustaining of the self. And if the self isn't real, and let's not say it is or it isn't in this little bit here, let's just say if it isn't, how will we know if we're constantly and exclusively acting on behalf of sustaining the self. See, it's only through understanding the self that we can see whether or not the self is real. And if these bits of us wither away and die on the vine, then what's left? Perhaps what's left is the real. Perhaps what is exposed, what, is, what lies beneath, when the conscious puppet and the unconscious puppeteer have completely dissolved Perhaps then truth, with a capital T, if such a thing exists, it will become the case of us. Because the false is no longer there. And if the false is, is the me, is the self, do I really want to hear that? Or do I want to keep rationalizing that, that away and rationalizing myself into existence? I cannot know until I have a moment of honest silence.